0: Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silverstein, Adam Silverstein here to lead you through these hard times at it with the greatest professional wrestling podcast produced out of a chair bedroom in South Florida, that's right, getting over is back with your WWE Where We're going to break down everything that has happened on Raw and SmackDown over the last few days, along with some extra wrestling topics from WWE and beyond that are making news as we tape this show. As you guys know, we're going to get to all of that momentarily, starting with the main event. Before we get there, a couple other things to talk about. First... Simply follow us on Twitter. Follow the show at Getting Overcast on Twitter. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam, and of course, you can follow our WWE co-host Chris Vanini at Chris Vanini V A N N I N I. Now, normally, this is the part of the show where I also tell you, hey, head on over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and review. And a lot of you have been doing that recently. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. You can still do it now if you want, but I'm not going to heavily promote it today in the show. Instead. I have always told you guys that I'm going to be completely transparent about this show since many of you have been with me from the very beginning. And we've talked previously about how you as the listeners can potentially contribute to the show just to help us from a technology standpoint and a production standpoint be as great and as clear and as good sounding as we can be. So rather than do a Patreon, rather than do a GoFundMe and and give all these fees to all these companies, I'm not really looking for... significant amount here. But what I am going to go ahead and do is give all of you listening right now my Venmo. And my Venmo is very simple. It's my name all squished together. Adam Silverstein, A-D-A-M-S-I-L-V-E-R-S-T-E-I-N. And all we have is a small goal. It's not going to be consistent. I'm not going to be looking for constant donations. The goal of this is going to be to pay for equipment and production needs that we have at individual given times throughout the year. And and hopefully, once we get all the equipment we need, we're not gonna really have to do that. All we'll have to cover are the actual fees for the podcast itself, hosting it, producing it, things like that. But, so like, like I said, small goal to start, $150. Basically, I'm looking to purchase a boom or a mic stand for my desk, a pop filter, and a couple other little items, as well as pay for all of the podcast hosting that I have put out to this point. So the question is, If you do generously end up donating to the Getting Over Wrestling podcast by going over to Venmo and shooting me a couple bucks at Adam Silverstein, what are you going to get? Right? Because I'm not trying to look for a handout here. Well, this is the deal. Anyone who donates five to nine dollars, you're going to get a shout out on the show. Straight up. Really appreciate it. Thank you for being a good, big listener. I still need to name our audience. I haven't actually done that yet. So anyone who does have ideas like that, you can let me know. Now, if you donate anywhere from 10 to $19, not only are you gonna get a shout out on the show, but I'm gonna do a private 30 to 60, maybe we'll do 60 minute Q&A chat on uh, a daytime that everyone can make. I don't know exactly what service I'm gonna use. Maybe it will be a Twitch, I'm not sure, but we will do something special for everyone that donates between 10 and $19. And anyone who decides to donate $20 or more You're gonna get the shout out just like you would for the other two. You're gonna get to join the chat just like you would for the other two. And you will also get the opportunity to either choose a segment of this show that we will do. It can be pay-per-view rewind. It can be hero or zero. It can be something completely new that we've never done before. Or if you're not that creative to come up with a segment, you can tell us what pay-per-view you want us to rewatch and review on this show. So not every single person who makes that huge donation is gonna, if all of you do that, I can't do a thousand of them, but I guess my point is that we will maybe throw the names into a hat. Depending on how many names there are, we'll pick one, two, or three, and we will incorporate those into our shows going forward. So the other part of this is, like I said, I'm not looking for endless donations here. So I will tweet out as soon as the goal has been reached. That way, everyone else, you can save your funds, stick them back in your pockets, and maybe down the line when we need other equipment or we have other goals that we need to meet, then you can generously donate then if you so choose. So that's it. Not going to talk about it much anymore. But if you do wish to donate to Getting Over, help us improve the audio quality, help us improve how the sound drops sound, and just help us pay for all the hosting that I have shelled out to this point, you can do so by sending me a couple of bucks at Adam Silverstein on Venmo. So I would greatly appreciate that. But okay, now that I have panhandled and asked you for your money and told you how you can follow us on Twitter, it's time to welcome in Chris Vanini to the show before we get into this main event. Chris, um, I don't really have too much to talk about ahead of the show other than uh, wear a mask. That's kind of just my message here. Yes,
1: you are in South Florida. I am in Texas. And these are two of the worst places for COVID-19 right now. So please wear a mask if you want things to get back to normal, because where I'm at, they are shutting down bars and other things. Arizona's doing the same. So, uh, yeah, wear a mask and stay out of indoor gatherings, please.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. Um, like you said, being Texas and Florida respectively, we are at the front of this right now. And honestly, I, I know I went on a coronavirus rant uh, and mask rant and WWE testing rant on Thursday show. Um, you know, I appreciate all of you sitting through that. But we are going to get into the main event here. And a lot of what we need to talk about to open the show. And I am i promise you, I'm going to keep it as short as I possibly can. And there are timestamps um, in the description if you guys want to jump around. But there is some fallout from the WWE coronavirus testing story that really came to affect uh, Friday night on SmackDown and Monday night on Raw. So, Chris, straight up. I watched SmackDown on Friday, and you could notice the change immediately. There were some people, not all for some reason, but some people wearing masks in the crowd. Then a couple days later on Raw, which was really, I think, only one day later in terms of the taping schedule, I believe they taped Raw on Sa- They It was originally supposed to go after SmackDown on Friday. Instead, they moved it to Saturday. Best I could tell, everyone in the crowd was wearing masks. So I don't know. What WWE's policy is right now, if it's simply optional and the people who were in the crowd for Raw all wore them, or if it's now not optional and they changed that over from Friday into Saturday after people reacted to only a couple of them wearing masks on SmackDown. I'm not sure what they did, but here's the truth. The, the hockey glass, it's a good touch. But what WWE did this entire time, they had the hockey glass and like, you know what, that's good enough. And that might be okay enough to protect the superstars if they weren't running into the enclosed area and if people from the enclosed area weren't running into the ring side area. So right there, the hockey glass itself becomes somewhat useless as long as there's that interaction. And then to have some people wearing masks and not, everyone knows the masks are not to protect you, they're to to protect others. So if two people are together and they're both wearing masks, virus transmission is 1.5%. If only one of them is wearing a mask, it's extremely high. So I guess my point is that I didn't mind the look of people wearing masks in the crowd. It's something that I said AEW should have been doing this entire time, even though they were testing this entire time. Um, But I didn't like what I saw Friday night. It actually bothered me more to see it 50-50 than it did on Monday night when I saw 100% and I said, "Okay, they're all wearing masks. I feel as if you are more comfortable watching the show.
1: Yeah, and it looked like on Monday they had raw branded masks. Some did.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: and it, it's like, like lean into this. You know, Kevin Owens released a, a video a couple of days ago about his wife's, uh, I don't remember if his wife's grandfather. I think father grandfather who died from COVID nineteen, and released a video about right everybody wearing a mask and everything. And uh, yeah, it, it was something that was needed for a long time. It's it's good that they finally have people doing it. You you rarely see the fans anyway, and we we talked about it last week or something just wear the mask. It's not like we're really seeing the fans in the crowd anyway, but more than anything, I am very concerned when I'm seeing Ric Flair backstage in at an indoor gathering or in the ring doing something uh, in South Florida right now. And he, I think Charlotte a week or so ago tweeted a, a, a photo of her Andra, Andrade and, and Rick in Rick in and a restaurant. Right. And, yeah. and I was just like, man, like,
0: Wear a mask around Ric Flair, please. Well, here's the thing about that. And I did have a note to talk about Ric. And he's look, he's 71. Uh, He just went through a major health scare about a year ago. And I've commented for the last couple of shows how happy I am to see him looking healthy, speaking better, being able to move around. He was in really, really bad shape. The thing with Ric Flair is this. It is w it, it, in many ways I do believe it is w w e s responsibility to protect all of their performers one hundred percent at some point, the performers themselves though also have to take responsibility personally and Rick flair is choosing to show up on raw, collect the paycheck, and do this job and and work and and put himself at this risk now, look. One reason I felt a little bit comfortable seeing him on Monday, and I say a little bit, I mean like 10, 15 percent, was because now we know they're being tested. Everyone's being tested before they go into the facility. So just like with Jake Roberts on AEW, when I was really, I did not like that he was there. I didn't like that he was wearing a mask and then taking it off and touching his nose and mouth. It just really bothered me. If every single person there is being tested, and Flair, you would assume, has now at least been tested twice. And every along with everyone else that's there, and they're all negative. I'm, I'm not saying I'm comfortable with it, but I at least understand that precautions were taken. Whereas previously, before they were testing, I found that to be much worse. But ultimately, like you said, if he's going out to dinner with Charlotte and Andrade, and he's choosing to be at Raw, which is his choice, sometimes you just got to say personal responsibility. And he has to take that responsibility. And it seems like he's choosing to. So I don't know how much I can criticize WWE because that is the booking they're going with. They could not do it. They could have had him on a screen backstage or from his home. They could have had him call up Zelina Vega as opposed to take her and Andrade and Angel Garza aside. I did pop a little bit that he was talking to Andrade on screen. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, But no, you're right. Like part of me, a large part of me says he should not be there. He should not be working. Another part of me says, you know what, individual responsibility. He wants that check. He needs the money. Maybe he wants the money. Um, he wants to be on screen. He's seventy-one, wrestling his entire life. If that's what he wants to do, who's gonna like? Who's really gonna stop him other than Vince? Vince McMahon. And maybe sure. the argument is Vince should, but Vince is also like seventy-one. So like. Yes. You know it's weird it's it's a weird it, it it's yeah very difficult to wrap my head around you know i i i think it was the restaurant photo that really kind of like. Alarms yes. me more because that's un- that's even more unnecessarily putting yourself in a position where you're around a lot of people all not wearing masks people you don't know and people that have not been tested
1: yeah i mean to be fair i didn't see any other people in the photo it may have been the angle it may have been lower capacity and i house. doubt they i don't know that. i don't know but i'm I, yeah. just in fairness to the photo but yeah i was just like in, in a situation like that at a restaurant i know you got to eat and put food in your
0: mouth but Wear a mask otherwise, please. Well, you can, I mean, you can do takeout. Look, I have not been yeah. to a restaurant. I like going to restaurants. Me neither. Right? I have not been to a restaurant since March. <laughs> I mean, no, just, I've
1: not been inside one Yeah, I've, I've done takeout and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, you know, me too. Yeah. I the, support but, your local businesses and all that,
0: but, but really you, try to avoid indoor crowds, especially if you're not wearing a mask. But you know what? Even takeout, it took me until like late April to kind of say, you know what? I, I'm sick of cooking and oh. I like cooking a lot and I, I feel like I'm pretty good at it. But I got sick of it. You know, sometimes you want Chick-fil-A, you want the spicy chicken sandwich, you want the Chick-fil-A sauce, you want the the waffle fries. And like, I was like, you know what, I'm going to start. And then once I started, I was like, oh crap, this is safe. And <laughs> I'm going to start getting a lot of takeout now because it's, it's the only place I can go. It's like the only thing I can do besides sitting home and exercise, you know, I walk a little bit outside with the dog and I do some stuff around the house. And it's like, well, I can get in the car and pick up takeout because I'm, I'm not doing anything else, you know? Um, But anyway, okay. enough about food habits Uh, going back to wrestling. So SmackDown was strange, I thought, because I know they had to make adjustments uh, coming off of the positive covid tests. And they gave us that show that was 50 percent an Undertaker tribute. Right. And I said, okay, like I get what they're doing. I I uh, accept it, even though I didn't really want it. But then they turn around and the rest of the show is an eight man tag match a fatal four-way match, and a Lumberjack match with a ton of people hitting finishers and sending Taker off without him even being there. So if you had enough talent to do an eight-man tag, a four-way, and basically have all those people around the ring for a Lumberjack match, why could you not have booked just two hours of normal show? Yeah, well, I was also thinking, coming
1: off of positive tests, if they wanted to limit the number of people in the ring area, and instead they completely filled it up. Filled, it was, it, it was, up, right? it was more,
0: there were more people yeah. in a one hour SmackDown than there are in normal two hours of SmackDown. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was just really strange to me. I, I guess maybe they just threw away the show. Maybe they tore up the script and they're just like, like, here, we're just going to put something out there this week and, and then we'll, we'll recycle back on, on next Friday because look, there are still, or there were still three weeks until Extreme Rules. I guess this Friday is still three. So you mean, you mean Extreme Rules Horror Show? So we let's not jump ahead. Okay, we're gonna get to <laughs> we're gonna get to that in the show. We're gonna get to that in the main event, by the way. Let's and I'm not it. talking about I'm not talking about the card necessarily, I'm talking about the name. Um, but it just was a little strange to me. But coming out of that, there were a couple other things to talk about. Um, some notable notable absences, conspicuous by their absences. On Raw, uh, there were two: Austin Theory and Mike Rome. Now, there were also some allegations that had come out about Austin Theory they did not seem to be very i don't want to diminish uh strong or or it was with an, it was with an underage woman poten- potentially uh, allegedly um but it didn't seem to be like it was anything that would necessitate him immediately being removed from television without investigation so i am curious he is a younger guy potentially not to not to overly speculate but maybe he's one of the COVID positives, which would be unfortunate. And also not there was Mike Rome, uh, the announcer. So again, is this a situation where he simply doesn't want to be there? Is there something else going on? Or is it a coronavirus positive, which would really be unfortunate? WWE is not announcing who tested positive, uh, nor, nor do they need to. But uh, apparently, according to some reports, they've also told talent that they would prefer them not to say so as well. Obviously, some have already come out and said that they have tested positive, Renee Young being most notable among them. Uh, Best I can tell, she seems to be slowly but surely getting better. So I'm I'm happy to see that. Uh, But like I said, those two were conspicuous by their absences, no doubt about it. Um, The other person who I don't think, who I know we're not going to see for the foreseeable future is Daniel Bryan. Uh, Brie Bella is pretty close to having a baby. I believe her due date is late July. And being so close to birth and potentially, you know, I, I don't have any kids, but my friends do. Uh, I know that they can really pop sometimes at any time, and sometimes things can happen where you need to give birth early uh, or deliver early. So I just don't see a scenario where Daniel Bryan is there. And Roman Reigns, he came out uh, earlier this week. I forgot if it was Sunday or Monday, but he came out and said that he's not with WWE now because there's too many people traveling back and forth, and he cannot trust that everyone is locking down the same way that he is. So he's doing what he needs to do to protect his family. So It was an interesting quote because he was not blaming WWE necessarily for not testing, which I never think he would say publicly, even if he does believe it. But he did make a point that I think is a fair and larger point that everyone needs to consider, which is it's not only about you and your company and what they're doing. It's about everyone else around you. So if you're going to go hang out with friends, are they people that you can trust that have locked themselves down and not exposed themselves to the same level of precaution that you are. And and I know me personally, I am I I don't have a a wife or kids right now. Um, I am still taking those very high levels of precaution. So I really understood and aligned with what Roman was saying. I just recently over the weekend had a couple friends come over. We sat on the patio. We were 10 feet apart. And the only reason that they came over is because I knew uh, my friend, his wife's pregnant. I knew they were completely locked down and they weren't taking any unnecessary risks, just like I wasn't. So I think that Roman is just in the same camp that I am in that regard. And I really respect that he is kind of taking that stance and and putting his family first, putting himself and his health first. And it's to the point now where Daniel Bryan, I don't know when we're going to see him again. And Roman Reigns, I don't know when we're going to see him again either. No, I, I mean, you know, both of us cover college football and you look at, you know, a
1: lot of college football players have come back to campus and the idea was that they're gonna be safe on campus. But you've also got players going out to the bar, going out to parties, and it yeah. th- starts an outbreak on the team that comes back to that that personal responsibility you talked about earlier. And yeah, it, it makes sense for Roman and, and Daniel Bryan to do what they're doing and, and and as always you have to respect those decisions. And it, not everybody, you know, I have different people I have different uh situations,
0: and yeah, it, it makes sense why why they would stay away. Yeah, I mean if you're Trevor Lawrence and you're locking down because you know you know, you have so much on the line, not just the season, but going forward. Um, and then your backup tight end decides to go to a pool party and come into practice the next day and still test negative. But then he ends up passing it to you. You're screwed. Right. So unfortunately, they don't have the flexibility that wrestlers do, uh, because right now they're college students and they're trying to push forward. And we don't need to necessarily get into that. But I, I just respect the stances that some of these guys are taking. Uh, Owens, you know, Reigns, Brian like I want them on TV, I want them to entertain me, but sometimes other things take priority and and this is one of those times. So, kudos to them. Uh we're going to move on to talk about the extreme ex- WWE Extreme Rules the horror show as you spoiled a little bit ago. Um so my my comment is what the f? <laughs> uh I I don't understand why the subtitle is necessary here. I get what we're doing with Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt. We will talk about that momentarily. But even knowing what that match is going to be, that does not necessitate a subtitle name of the horror show. By the way, it also shows a total lack of self-awareness on WWE's part. Not that they have much self-awareness, but that they're going to call a show the horror show when there's a real-life horror show going on in COVID-19. Yeah, I don't like it, Bailey. I don't, okay? And and I I don't like the name, and I don't like the the concept of it. What are they going to do on this show, on this pay-per-view, to make that name make sense? Because the only match they could have done would have been a Bray Wyatt Braun Strowman House of Horrors match, which then would have made the horror show as a tagline make sense. But I don't care how many Extreme Rules matches you're going to have. That does not make sense as a pay-per-view subtitle. If they wanted to do it in October around Halloween, okay, maybe I'm going to buy in. But this just doesn't work for me. I think it's stupid. Um, and it just doesn't fit with anything. Like NXT, Great American Bash. You can say they pulled it out of their ass. It's July 4th week. It works. This does not work. 0.0. I I, I jumped before I had the sound. Zero point zero. Get the hell out of here with horror show. So I I
1: get the idea of a subtitle or whatever. My my problem is the execution of this. If you want to if you want to say it's Extreme Rules, the Horror Show is the official name. Fine, but only refer to it as that when you're doing a Bray Braun segment or maybe only on Smackdown. It makes no sense to do it on Raw. It, it and I really really hate how they always do this. Whenever they they want to brand something, they just hit you over the head with it a million times. So nobody says extreme rules, horror show, like naturally, like that's not a thing that people will well, say when they're talking about this thing.
0: It's one thing when Phillips does it. It's another thing when Sasha Banks does. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I get, I get when the announcer does it, but like when, yeah. when, when other people are are saying it, it, it never sounds natural. And it's, it's, it's like the catchphrases that they try to, that they try to
0: squeeze in all the time as well. well they, did so, it a, they did it at WrestleMania. They had the freaking undertaker say, the ultimate thrill ride will yeah, be your last ride. Yeah. I mean, come
1: on, it, it, it's not—it's not helping. I—I I, I think you know, pay per views forever have had a tagline. That doesn't mean it needs to be the official name every time it comes out of somebody's mouth.
0: Yeah, but the, but again, even when they had the taglines, they were good. Usually, <laughs> or, or or even if they weren't good, they were something that you didn't think twice about. Well, you it's. Have, it, yeah. You heard it, and it just you're like, okay, whatever. This this is insulting to me. It's just, it, you know what? I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of positivity. I am. I, I hate this. I, so I, look, I know, I know it doesn't matter, Chris. I know it's stupid to get mad about. Okay, but you're doing WWE is doing not not with COVID, not any of that stuff, but but storyline wise and, and TV show wise and booking wise, they're doing so many things kind of right, and it's tough to give them so much credit as we do that. Then you just throw this shit in my face and I'm supposed to like it. No, I'm I'm not going to like it. I think it sucks. Sorry, so, it, finish, finish your-
1: it, yeah, and if, again, I think they're ahead of themselves here. If we have Bray Braun and we know it's a horror show match or whatever you want to call it, then you then you add the tagline. You don't just out right. of nowhere on a Monday, just start calling it this and you're wondering what the hell is going on. That's when it sounds like it was completely not thought out, uh, especially since we've had this graphic and we've talked about extreme rules for a couple of weeks now. Uh, It just comes out of nowhere, and it's just very – again, I I think the execution is the biggest problem. I think it could have been
0: fine, and now it just seems ridiculous. That's the thing. If they had done the match, like I said, as House of Horrors where they said it was going to be a horror show match, something different, then they could have had the challenge, had the accepting, and then said, okay, now at Extreme Rules, the horror show, we're going to get a House of Horrors match between Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman um, for the Universal Championship or a non-title match. I think it's going to be a non-title match. Uh, Instead, it's a Wyatt Swamp fight. So it doesn't even fit in the horror category, which you do have the Fiend character and you do previously have the House of Horrors match that Bray Wyatt has done. Instead, they're not using the Fiend. They're not doing House of Horrors. They're just calling it this with no payoff, at least that we can see. You're right. If you're going to call it that, then like, like Money in the Bank, climb the corporate ladder, right? They announced the match yeah. Or they at least did it the same day or something. This was like days ahead. It's just dumb. D-U-M. Dumb. The,
1: the, the other one that comes to mind is Survivor Series Deadly Game. Was that nineteen ninety? Yes, yes. But, it was but a deadly was, game.
0: It was because there was a deadly game tournament going on. Right. Exactly. 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 Or in your house when they would tag those, when they started tagging them, yeah. in your house mind games, well, it was mankind playing mind games, right? There were reasons for it. And I don't mind doing it now because you're trying to sell these pay-per-views and you're trying to tell people, not sell the pay-per-views, but get people to watch, sell subscriptions. And you're trying to tell people there's going to be something here more than a normal show. We're going to do something cinematic. I totally get it. But that tagline is just dog shit. And I'm not going to accept it. I'm not going to stand by it. Maybe they're going to surprise us. Maybe somehow Jeff Hardy Sheamus turns into a horror show match. And like, it's just not something we're expecting. But considering we already have the swamp fight, I just can't imagine they're going to do another new, strange type of stipulation besides chairs, tables, and all the other matches that they can have. But stairs. Since we're all, yeah, so yeah, uh, chairs, ladders, tables and stairs. Was that it one year? Yeah. yeah. Tables, yeah. ladders, chairs and stairs. That's what, yeah. Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject, though, we can talk Bray Wyatt and Braun Strowman. I was kind of mixed on Braun's promo because on one hand, it gave us a backstory that we never had. And there were times during it where Braun was kind of believable for maybe the first time, but on the other hand, it was completely overwritten. There was tons of vocabulary in there that he would never use. Basically, I think it started weak and closed strong. The only thing I kind of liked was that Braun showed a little bit more confidence on the microphone than he had previously. I'm glad he has that, but they need to stop holding his hand. Yeah, I,
1: I think Braun is a better talker than he gets credit for, but I think they just overwrite him and give him way too many just words and big words and stuff like that. He, he can carry himself pretty well on there, but he doesn't need to be, he doesn't need to over talk this thing. That That's not the reason, you know, he, he, you know, you don't need him to talk somebody into a building. He's his presence is, is what's supposed to do that. So I, I thought it was pretty good on a Friday. I, I, I think it moved it forward pretty well. It got me more interested in it. Uh, so
0: I thought it was pretty good. Are you excited for the swamp fight?
1: I, I'm excited because I've I I'm excited for another cinematic match and see where things go. It, it it it's it's interesting. It might might be good, might be bad. I don't know, but I think WWE's track record with these things has, at the very least, been entertaining and interesting. So I I am excited uh, for it. And th- you're right. I guess we don't know if it's title or non-title. No, it uh, is non. T- it's
0: non-title match.
1: Okay. Did did yeah.
0: did uh, did they ever kind of explain why? Um no, I think he challenged him, and then like a few minutes later, a graphic came up, or or they maybe tweeted it out that it was a non-title match. I think the I think it makes a little bit of sense to do non-title Bray. I mean uh, Braun already beat Bray. Sure, I would in a title match.
1: I would would just like them to say that because yeah.
0: Well, I think this. Well, it's interesting though how they're going to do this because so you have to imagine that because they're holding off the fiend that they're setting up The Fiend to take the title off Braun, which you and I predicted, which, you know, I talked about really immediately after WrestleMania. I thought The Fiend should have beaten Braun at WrestleMania. Or actually, I thought Fiend should have beaten Cena and then had a number one contendership, fought Goldberg and beaten Goldberg and reclaimed what he lost, the one person he lost to. Um, so now, you know, yeah, I do think that Fiend should take the title off Braun at SummerSlam. But the question is, what do you do in this match? Because Braun, uh, Braun has a win. If he wins another non-title match, there's little reason for Fiend to get a third match right. and have the title on the line. I, if, I, if if Bray Wyatt wins, then you potentially have your champion lose twice.
1: I think I think the argument you could make is that uh, Funhouse Bray and Swamp Bray and Fiend are three different characters, three different levels essentially. Um, I, I guess say. I guess what
0: I'm saying though is that if if Swamp Bray, let's call him, um, beats Braun, then the champion could potentially lose two times in as many months. Whereas if Braun wins, there's really not a reason for Fe- for Bray, the human, to get a third match. Right. And that wouldn't be for the title when the second one wasn't.
1: I so, right. I I'm saying I think the I, I'm saying I think they would treat the fiend as essentially a different person. Maybe. Maybe. They'd say the last time we saw The Fiend was when he beat John Cena.
0: Okay, I guess that's possible. For me, it all kind of goes through the Firefly Funhouse as this one did. Yeah, Colton no, I, I, did, I so it to me, it's all it, I, I, that would be a, a step too far for them trying to explain it away for me, but okay, I mean, I accept it, but uh, you know, I don't think it's the worst booking. It's just I'm very curious how the what is it, the Wyatt Swamp Fight is that what they're calling it? Yeah, the Wyatt Swamp Fight. I'm very curious how that's going to actually play out.
1: Hopefully, to, it's, yeah, hopefully it's better than the uh. The, the House of
0: Horrors. I hope so, too. Um, but we'll see how it does play out to allow that third match, which we're all assuming is going to happen, for that to happen. Now, we're going to wrap up the main event of the show talking about Raw and this Champions versus challenger storyline that they kind of played out over the entire show. The opening contract signing uh, was meant to be a hot start with the women brawling right out of the gate, cold open style, and it worked for me. I def- It definitely had me kind of transfixed on that segment, not knowing necessarily what was going to happen Because it's very rare that you get two contract signings at once, especially a male and a female contract signing at the same time with people who don't really have any relation to one another on screen. Like Drew and Asuka have never worked together clearly. There's a chance that Dolph and Sasha at one point had done something, but but not in the current incarnation of their characters. So I enjoyed that. Then Dolph kind of coming out um, next and you, and you, you kind of realizing what is about to happen because there were only three three chairs there, I think, or maybe there were four, but you didn't really pick up on it, right? As the show opened, Samoa Joe standing in the ring, kind of not able to control the situation. I just really enjoyed that. I thought it was a really nice touch to kind of open the show strong and get you interested. Dolph Ziggler then comes in, grabs the mic, has a great way of turning chicken shit into chicken salad, adding some actual beef to his storyline. Big Uh, With Drew McIntyre and actually giving us the story that should have preceded the title challenge that we got an entire week ago. And then we were kind of left, and I'll pause here, and we can talk about this before we move on. Uh, We're paused here with Drewick obviously signing the match and then offering Dolph the opportunity to choose a stipulation, which, outside of the Wyatt Swamp Fight, is the first time we've actually heard people talk about stipulations at Extreme Rules, which is a stipulation pay-per-view. So it has me wondering, are they going to do something like Next week on Raw, Dolph just comes out with a chair, hits Drew, and then it's a chairs match? Or do you think that they're actually going to think this through and do something along the lines of a 30-minute Iron Man match, two out of three falls, um, something that is submission only? I, I don't exactly know what they're going to do. That's kind of what I'm posing to you, though. Do you think they're going to get creative or just kind of pick a weapon, use it next week, and just it be a weapons match? I, I kind of leaned toward that
1: because it's Extreme Rules. Maybe they say it's a... TLC or a, a a notice qualification or whatever. Um, I, I I like that segment and I I think it once again Drew in street clothes looks amazing. Keep doing that every week, please. Thank you. Uh, I, I I think this continues the theme of Drew as a confident, aggressive face, and I, I basically said every week, you know, he 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 basically warned Dolph about challenging him. And he's doing the same thing here. And he he had a good, you know, Dolph gave his whole thing about bringing Drew Drew back, building him up. And then again, Drew turns it back on him and says, you're the guy who's always close enough, but never gets there. What happens if you lose me now, then you can never basically say you don't get your shots anymore. And that kind of, puts everything Dolph is about on the line essentially for his character you know he's going to give him the championship match he says he always wants and if he if he fails it then what does Dolph have to say so I I think there's pretty good stakes here I I think it continues to follow their characters and I I like the different setup with the men and women signing at the same time and I thought it was interesting that it was really the women who were Cleaning house and fighting yes. and throwing over tables and stuff like that, while the, while the men were kind of off to the side, so I, I think it helped
0: them shine as well. So I, I thought it was a pretty good segment all around. Yeah, the aggressiveness being on the women's side of the table um, was a nice touch, and it was it was good to show that that is where the actual animosity lays. Mm-hmm. Whereas with Drew and Dolph, it's more it's more of a personal thing for Dolph. You know, it's him saying, "Hey, look, you know, this is what I did for you." He's not so much attacking him because he hates him. He's just kind of saying, look, you know, we're in a situation here where I deserve this. And, you know, it's going to it took me coming out to confront you for you to give it to me. So I did appreciate that. And like I said, Dolph did this exact same thing with Kofi. Okay, where they Mm -hmm. just said Kofi didn't have a challenger. And they're like, you know what? Oh, no, Kofi was supposed to, I think, face Kevin Owens was the plan. And Kevin didn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. So they had to make a change. And they just threw Dolph out there. And Dolph started doing the, you know, it was supposed to be me storyline and actually made something of it. And And it, it got a little bit annoying at times, but, but he really created a storyline out of thin air. And that's pretty much what he's doing here. Now, this is a real storyline, but it would have been a- very nice for him to have come out last week, cut this promo, and then... This week kind of said, hey, Drew, I didn't hear from you. You know, you were busy doing whatever. I forgot what he was doing two weeks ago. Um, maybe the, our truth shit. Was that what happened two weeks ago? I don't even remember. Um, but, you know, I didn't hear an answer from you. Why are you ducking me? Drew comes out, accepts the challenge. And then next week, two weeks away from the pay-per-view, they do the contract signing. This just felt flipped. It felt like the order was kind of flipped on this storyline. Uh, it felt like they rushed this. It felt like they kind of rushed Asuka and Sasha Banks, the difference there is you can rush Asuka Sasha Banks all day long, and I'm not going to really complain about it. I'm going to completely take it. Sasha in that segment was incredible. Her promo was really solid. Using the boss rubber stamp instead of signing will always pop me for those that don't <laughs> remember. That's a callback. She did that in NXT. Um, she did that for matches, contract signings she had against Speculinch and against Bayley separately. So this is the third time we've seen the stamp, more jewels on it than ever before. So that's just a huge, really cool, unique part of her character. Sasha is among the best in WWE. She may actually be the best in terms of callbacks. She does it in her matches with finishes and submission uh, moves and reverses. She does it with little things like the rubber stamp. There was also a moment later on Raw Talk, if you watched it, where she was touching the SmackDown Women's Championship that Bailey had over her shoulder, and she wouldn't let go. She just had like three fingers on it. And Bailey, while Sasha was talking, so they weren't like, It wasn't meant to be something that you focused on. It was meant to be an Easter egg. But while Sasha like had her fingers on it and was like rubbing it and talking, Bailey like brushed her hand off and like Sasha gave her a look like, what was that? So they do really, they do a really good job with the little things. And I always appreciate that. I also liked that backstage in the segment they had with Dolph Ziggler, where they were all preparing for the match, that Sasha mentioned the hacker. Uh, You know, this is a storyline that we thought they may have potentially dropped with rumors that a certain person who was supposed to be the hacker has been moved to Raw, even though we haven't seen them. Uh, Nevertheless, they mentioned it here, which gives me a little bit of hope that maybe this is something that's gonna come back and not get completely dropped. I don't know why they dropped it. I don't know why they made changes to it. It was totally working and all they needed to do was come up with a reveal. It had been going on for two or three months. So I just enjoyed everything that she had to do. But, But as much as I liked, Chris, what she did on the mic and early in the show, I loved what she did in the main event. Dolph Ziggler and Sasha Banks beating Asuka and Drew McIntyre in a mixed tag champions versus challengers match. I cannot ever remember seeing a match like that. And I cannot ever remember a mixed tag match that didn't have storyline implications being as good as that was. And I'm not talking about the mixed challenge, mixed match challenge or any of that stuff. I'm just talking about a random mixed tag team match on a television show. It was a lot of fun, great interactions across the board between both teammates and opponents. Um, I think it was Sasha staring down Drew like that was a really cool moment. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the finish, I thought they nailed the finish because we all know Oscar's probably going to win at Extreme Rules. But Sasha Banks just pinned Asuka on Raw. That's another big win. Sasha Banks is on a seven and one winning streak right now. Just dude. Match was good. Storyline was good. Main events was good. Huge hero for me. Just a absolute home run segment. It, I, and I know it's a common
1: crutch WWE goes on, which is, oh, someone pinned the women's champion. And that kind of is part of the feud. But it, it, it's OK if you build to it and it fits in the story and this fit in the story. And I was fine with that. It was distraction also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it, it's kind of the stuff you see a lot, but you, there, there are proper ways to do it. And that was a proper way to do it we talked about this last week with Pritchard taking over raw in that there was a lot more interaction between different stories and different people. And it felt more free flowing. And I think this was an example of that. You had two different stories that came together. Uh, two different storylines came together and stayed throughout the night and it culminated in, in a finish at the end, which was a really good match. So I, I think there are some other problems with Pritchard things that I'll get to later, but this is an example I think of, of, when everything interacts with each other, it it just adds a lot to the presence of everything.
0: No, that's that's true. And that's a really good point. Um, This main event storyline that kind of took place throughout the entire show, they referenced it two times backstage. So you got four segments with the people Mm -hmm. that were in this match and they all worked. Every single interaction between all of them, in my opinion, worked. I did feel that the first not to get too too much off on a tangent. I'm going to come back to this. I did feel like the first two hours of the show strangely, there was almost too much happening. Like the first hour felt like two hours. There was just so much jam packed together and there was no time to really breathe and kind of say, okay, that was a down segment. Now let's get into the next one. And I'm not complaining that it was high intensity segments for the majority of that show. That's fine. But like that Undertaker thing that they did, the the quick kind of reprieve of, hey, let's take a breath and kind of watch this and we'll get back to the action. If they had done that after hour one, it probably would have been better than after hour two. All right, going back into this. I want to say I'm glad the guys did not factor into the finish, stretching out that storyline, leaving us something to look forward to Last week, uh, next week. We saw that Drew in the opening segment was unable to hit the claymore on Dolph. Dolph was too smart, got out of the ring. And then later at the end of the match, they did not factor in. So there was no really resolution or there was no massive advancement of that storyline. and was so much time until the pay-per-view. I was glad that that happened. Sasha, I've said it before on this show, in recent weeks, she is doing the best work of her career on the mic and in the ring. She is so smooth as a worker right now. I think she's in her prime. I don't think that's a astounding thing, a comment to make. I've just never seen someone turn it up the way she has, really since she came back in October or not, not October. I think it was in last summer. I think she's been back for about a year, but when she came back and she had that feud with Becky Lynch, I think most people agreed that she should have taken the title off Becky. Uh, it was believable. She was doing great. She was looking great in the ring. Uh, it just was fantastic. Then they kind of cooled her down, which was disappointing. And they had her be second fiddle to Bailey, but kind of once, you know, January, once we turned into 2020, they started telling the storyline that they're hopefully culminating either at SummerSlam or maybe even at WrestleMania next year. But what Sasha did on Monday night and what she's done recently in all of these matches, and there's still plenty more to come. She has Io Shirai coming up on NXT Wednesday, which talk about dream match. And then at the pay-per-view, you have Sasha Banks' Asuka, which one-on-one is another dream match. Uh, Lil Nate. At M Stewart four, he wrote in Sasha and Bailey. They've been my favorite thing in wrestling twenty twenty. If they can stretch this out, do you think the eventual singles match could main event WrestleMania? That is not the DM I meant to read, but nevertheless, that is his DM. <laughs> um, so I'm going to get back to that. But the, the the when I got a DM, I guess I didn't include it in my show rundown. Was asking me if Sasha Banks. It was from Black Saber Junior. That's who it was at underscore Black Saber Junior. He said, do you think that Sasha, considering the run she's having and the run she's about to have, could be in the wrestler of the year conversation by year's end? I think it's a little too early to say that. We already have a couple other candidates, Randy Orton, Drew McIntyre. You know, you can argue some people from NXT and AEW. But she is making the same run, potentially, that Becky Lynch did a couple of years ago, where right around the summer, picking up into the fall, she went on a torrid pace and but by the time December closed, Becky Lynch ended up being my wrestler of the year for 2018. So I think Sasha Banks is on the same path. After all, I'm the legit boss. I'm the standard. I'm the blueprint. I am the leader and I am the conversation. Are you really going to argue with that, Chris? The only thing I'd
1: argue is that I think we got to make sure we give some love to Bailey here. Oh, absolutely. She, she is, uh, she has been uh really she had by know been the focus of the two of them for a while and now sasha has really risen up in the past couple weeks and months but bailey continues to be incredible in everything she's doing she was great on commentary during their match uh back uh, she was what bailey trace strapped because she had the, the the two tag team belts on her as well uh the horror show you know drop that you've got now um she she continues to add and even when she's not wrestling uh, she continues to add to what she she's watching and participating in and uh let's not forget that she is doing an incredible job here and i they continue to slow play this and drag it and drag it and drag it, and it still continues to be good and let's finally get that payoff that we didn't get last time because they have been just on point with everything in this and that is gonna be a horror show <laughs> how do
0: you yeah. like no, that, that drop is never leaving the sound. That is going to be on forever. That's incredible. You're right. Bailey has been fantastic, really, for her entire run, her entire heel run. She's been great, but it has really turned a corner really since March. And she has just gone to another level. And I think you could make a case for her for wrestler of the year. After all, she's been champion the entire year so far. And, and like you said, she's been doing great work. I think in ring, despite her being a very good wrestler, it just hasn't been to the level that Sasha has over the last few months, which is pr- purposeful. They're trying to get Sasha over and they're trying to show that she's the strong part of the duo and that in many ways she's doing more for Bailey than Bailey is doing for her in storyline. So it could all come to a head. And, and yeah, maybe by year's end, we may be saying, actually, it's Bailey. But for me, I think the growth potential for the remainder of the year, for the final six months of the year, is fully in Sasha Banks' camp. And and to answer the DM that we kind of glossed over, it's tough. Could you stretch it out to next year's WrestleMania? You could. And could it main event WrestleMania if you did that? Yes, it definitely could. Sasha and Bayley could main event any show that they want to. But I think it would be a little bit too long. And it would require WWE to do so much more booking that by the time you get there, it kind of will water it down as hot as it possibly can be. The problem is, I thought they would already kind of be building up to it more than they have been. Now, maybe the catalyst is going to be Bailey doing something at Extreme Rules that ends up interfering and costing Sasha the Raw title. And then the following week on SmackDown, she turns while they're still champions and something happens. Maybe Bailey ends up accepting a women's tag team title defense that... They defend, they, and they end up defending those titles on the show. And then Sasha's tired for her match with Asuka. She loses to Asuka clean and then is upset at Bayley. There's a lot of ways that they can book this. If you told me they were going to stretch it out to WrestleMania, as long as you could guarantee Lil Nate that they would actually pay it off at WrestleMania, I would be on board. But there have been so many occasions where it's been teased and not delivered upon that I kind of just want it now. It has been long enough at this point, rather than just delaying it. They could also have them blow up at SummerSlam, separate them, and then have them come back together at WrestleMania. That's another option. So I don't know. Um, I'm mixed because, like I said, I thought the build would be a little bit more tilted towards the split already at this juncture so close to SummerSlam. The other thing to take into consideration, Chris, is WrestleMania 37, there's at least a chance of a crowd. Yeah, well, so that's, what, sure. that's what that's what I was going to say is, chance of the crowd.
1: Right. That's what I was saying. I, I'm wondering if they've been trying to stretch
0: this longer to get a crowd for the, the payoff, the blow up, whatever, whatever have you. And that that's very possible. But so I'm mixed. I wish I had a concrete answer for you uh, for your DM, but I, I can go back and forth. And someone who is good at arguing or good at debating could probably get me persuasive is the word I'm looking for. Someone who's persuasive could probably get me to buy into either camp. I actually do have another DM, and this is going to be the final main event segment of the show. It's coming from A.A. Ron at Chef Aaron 26. He said, with Tessa Blanchard getting released from Impact Wrestling, who has the best chance of landing her, AEW or WWE? And do you think she will be competing for the male heavyweight championship at either of those companies? Also, do you think she's becoming as influential as China was when she was winning the Intercontinental Championship as the only women to win one of the top titles of a wrestling company. Uh, There's a lot in there. And I think Tessa, because of how good she is, deserves this main event spot as opposed to throwing her into the remaining part of the show, Chris. um, So Tessa's great in the ring. She seems to be the opposite outside of the ring. Right. WWE, uh, the women's locker room right now seems to be in really good shape. They have the best women's division in the world, especially if you can, can... but combine all three, Raw, SmackDown, and NXT, even if you separate them, I would say all of their individual women's divisions are better than any other women's division in North America or South America, for that matter, <laughs> or, or anywhere. Um, maybe Stardom could give them a run, or the Raw brand individually or the SmackDown brand individually, but they're just strong across the board. So WWE does not need Tessa Blanchard. Do they want Tessa Blanchard? Maybe. Uh, she was there before. They didn't offer a contract reportedly because of attitude issues. You can say that WWE has rehabbed other people. Randy Orton being a great example. Someone who they stuck with through thick and thin. And ultimately, he turned things around and, and you know grew and matured um, and became a very valuable asset to the company. Would they want to give her this opportunity? Well, look, there's proof that she... not Maybe not proof. There's allegations, very strong allegations that she has said and done some things that are racist. WWE has a number of black and ethnic women in its locker room, who I don't think would take well to that. And I would argue that almost all of them are more valuable right now today than she is. So would you want to kind of include that in your roster? I don't know. On the other hand, WWE uh, kind of wants to prevent AEW from getting major pieces of talent. And Tessa Blanchard for AEW would be a major, major, Addition, because their women's division is lackluster, even at full strength, it's lackluster. But especially now, uh, there's, there's really nothing there. Hikaru Sheet is great. Nyla Rose is good. Uh, Penelope Ford is pretty solid. But with the women that, that are injured and unavailable, there's not much to write home about. But then does AEW, who is kind of standing up and for no reason out of nowhere... Tony Khan saying Hulk Hogan and Linda Hogan are banned and he's making all these statements and puffing out his chest about people who will never work for the company. Do they want to kind of throw all that away and go hire Tessa Blanchard, even though her father's there? I don't know. If-
1: right. I, I I think, you know, if you're just talking about in the ring, you know, sure. But I, I think when, you know, when Tessa won the championship and some of the stuff that came out, some of the things that people said, even people in WWE at the time, um, I I, I think it, I, I don't think WWE would go forward with it if there was a staunch disapproval of it from their own wrestlers, especially the women. Um, you, you mentioned the AEW stuff; it, it makes sense. It's the, the test of things just been or just a real mess. You know, she wins the title, and, and the stuff about racial slurs come out. Comes out. She's getting stripped of the title now for 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 things. It's it's not. It's this latest thing is not the professionalism that any company is going to want to jump on and be a part of if they don't feel like they can trust her to send in promos, you know, is essentially it's, it's right. not, it's not <laughs> right. a good spot.
0: And this is after she's I mean, she she had problems during the uh, May Young Classic, I think, and WWE chose not to sign her to NXT. So they kind of already made that choice. But it is a few years later. Maybe she can tell a side of the story that they'll believe. I don't know. Uh, but no, to answer your question, I I really don't think WWE or AEW sign her right now. And in terms of her importance, she did hold the Impact title. It's the Impact title. It is lower in stature than the Intercontinental Championship. China, to me, is by far a bigger name and had has had a bigger impact on the business um, than Tessa Blanchard. Maybe by the time her career is over, Tessa will be at that level. Right now, the answer is no. zero! All right, let's talk about what else went down in the world of WWE this week. Uh, Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins, that feud continuing. I thought they did a good job keeping that angle alive. But with a couple more Raws until Extreme Rules, I really don't have much of an idea what else they can do at this point other than figure out a potential stipulation and set the match, Chris. Uh, we saw Humberto Creo get a chance to speak. Okay, not too bad. But there is still no explanation for why Alistair Black is involved. That... Entire segment was supposed to be Creo and Black explaining why they were standing by Rey Mysterio, and Aleister Black never said anything. That said, glad to see him on TV. Uh, You saw Rollins stomp Creo to get the win in the match. Right decision, right finish, and then stomp him again on the steel steps. That makes me wonder what kind of match we're ultimately going to get at Extreme Rules. I think originally we were assuming it would be a six-man tag. Seth Rollins, Murphy, and Austin Theory against Rey Mysterio. Alistair Black and Humberto Carrillo. So now, potentially, Carrillo may be out of that match. We may not have Austin Theory for one of the myriad reasons we mentioned earlier. So do they go with one-on-one Rey Mysterio and and, uh, Seth Rollins? Or do we maybe just get a tag team match, Mysterio and Black against Rollins and Murphy, and then they pay off the singles match at SummerSlam?
1: I got to say, this would be a good opportunity for a stairs match.
0: It would be a good good opportunity for a stairs match.
1: With the the stomps on the stairs and the poking out the eyes, this is what the stairs matches were for. No, but, uh, yeah, my guess, I I don't think they want to blow off this singles feud at Extreme Rules Horror Show, Uh, but this story has kind of gotten a little convoluted with a lot of different pieces involved. I, I, I would be comfortable with doing a tag match at Extreme Rules and then just really... Focusing in on Seth and Ray to summertime. I know Ray's at home; they got to do different things via satellite. You get different people involved, but at some point, this has to get down to just Seth and Ray. And I, uh, unless that changes in the next three weeks, I don't think it's the time to do that just yet. I, I, I think you can do the tag match and then spend the next month focusing just on the one-on-one.
0: But do you think we're good? Do you think Kuro was written out of the match with that shot? And I think that would speak to Austin Theory's potential availability as well. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I I, I would not be, I guess I'd say I would not be surprised if that
0: is the plan. Okay. That is what we call a hedge, folks. That's what we call a hedge. All right. (laughs) Uh, Jeff Hardy uh, beat Baron Corbin in the main event of SmackDown. I thought it was a fine match, and obviously they built up to it during the show, you know, in whatever way you can decide whether you thought that was successful or not. I thought it was strange for them to give us that segment, when Sheamus is coming back next week to do the toast. So one would think he did not test positive because he's going to be back next week. And it's already taped. So they already taped it, basically. So you would think that he's OK. Yet they delayed the segment that they had advertised for the show. I thought that was a little strange. Uh, but Hardy had to win. It was a fine match. It was entertaining. Uh, the post-match of Biggie, E, Strowman, and then Matt Riddle all hitting Corbin with their finishers just because he disrespected The Undertaker... Kind of felt strange, felt a little unnecessary to me, but I didn't hate the King Corbin pipe bomb-esque promo on The Undertaker earlier in the show. I thought that was actually pretty hot and one of Corbin's better promos, uh, Jeff Hardy breaking it up and then cutting a promo of his own made sense because if you remember, Taker endorsed him after that awesome ladder match they had on SmackDown about 15 years ago. So from a storyline perspective, that all worked together. I just kind of thought that the post match was a little bit unnecessary. Yeah,
1: it, it felt like a it felt like a dark segment like to send the crowd home happy. Right. <laughs> it was like I was like a, is this meant to be broadcast on TV cuz that doesn't that doesn't I, what's the point? You you only do something like that just so the crowd can see some finishing moves as they go home. Like if it was on TV, like I'm sorry, if it, if there was a crowd, I would see the point. I, I do not understand what the point of that was. But, uh, you know, match was, match was fine. I think Corbin's underutilized, not underutilized, but he's better than he gets credit for it. The promo yes. was good. Yes. Um, but uh, it, it was it, the whole Undertaker theme. We didn't really talk about it much, but the whole Undertaker theme was really weird. for Smackdown, I don't, you don't know if they were trying to just save time. You don't know if they're trying to hype up the Undertaker is retiring so then he can come back at some point. We talked about that last week if we think he's, actually gone or not um just a weird vibe to the whole episode and 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 that finish kind of added to it
0: if if it, it all this undertaker stuff on smackdown and raw it only for me enhanced my belief that he has another match and right. they just they just don't know when it's going to be so they're hyping it up as like hey yeah he actually did this is it but it you wouldn't do it that way and again you wouldn't retire on on the final episode of a documentary that that's not how wrestlers retire ever it just it doesn't work that way so I know we're in unique times, but I just didn't didn't buy into it. I will say I did like that Matt Riddle was the last one. Not it's usually the champion, uh, meaning Braun Strowman, who's the last one to hit the finisher. The fact that Matt Riddle got that opportunity to do it made a lot of sense. It also probably says to me that I don't know what they're doing with with Riddle and AJ Styles. Whether he's going to get a title match or or maybe they're going to delay it. Maybe Styles doesn't want to be around, or God forbid, maybe he does have uh, coronavirus. Maybe he tested positive. But I do like the idea of Matt Riddle, Corbin as a feud off the bat. Two big guys, really talented. Um, and certainly Riddle getting a win over Corbin, you know, establishes him. He would have wins over AJ Styles and Corbin, two of the biggest heels on the show. So that's a good a good start for him. I also like Drew Gulak was ringside, kind of motivating Hardy and getting him in his ear, kind of like a coach. And I think he pointed out that You know, I don't know. I don't think he has a name for it. But when Corbin, one of my favorite things, slides past a ring post, runs around it, jumps back in the ring and then hits a clothesline or something, um, Gulak coached him up and Hardy was able to avoid it. So the idea of Gulak being like a player coach type of thing is something I could totally get behind, not just for Daniel Bryan, which he was kind of already doing that, but maybe for a number of wrestlers. And yes, folks, I know that I don't like Arn Anderson as coach (laughs) over an AEW, but that is completely different. Arn doesn't do shit. He stands there with a, a uh, you know, like a play call sheet, which is ridiculous for wrestling. You don't need a play call sheet. I like he, it. But he doesn't use it. Uh, he looks at it and then he doesn't do anything. And then he just yells things at Cody, like watch for the splash and stuff like that. <laughs> what, what you want is someone to when the guy rolls out of the ring, like Gulak did, to get in their ear, say a couple yes. things, shove him back in the ring. And then you see the, you see the value of that. And maybe yeah. you have commentary. Say, hey, Look what Drew Gulak just said. He told him to avoid this. Arn Anderson is... Arn Anderson's there as a figurehead offensive coordinator. It's stupid, okay? You know what? I already used the sound. I don't care I'm using it again. Zero point zero. That's for Arn Anderson. It. That's for Drew Gulak. All right. Uh, Go ahead. Did you have something to say? No, I was going to say... I, I, I like the idea of like
1: a player-coach type of uh, role. The only thing is though, you got to make sure that 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 person doesn't lose a bunch because then it takes away their yes. credibility as a coach. And and Gulak has the credibility right now after the whole Daniel Bryan thing. Uh, but uh, it's just something to keep in mind. Well, look,
0: Gulak's old Odin Intercontinental Championship match. Basically, you have uh, Matt Riddle, who's beat the champion. He probably is owed one as well. So it's going to get interesting what they do in that picture right now. And I'm very curious to see how it transpires. Uh, Andrade and Angel Garza, they fought the Viking Raiders. It seemingly was like an unofficial number one contendership match. I liked that they continued to show the lack of teamwork between Andrade and Garza, but it hurt the Viking Raiders that a team so disjointed could just easily dispatch them like that. It would have been a good opportunity, I think, for them to have gotten Ricochet and Cedric Alexander in a actual tag team match, have Andrade and Garza beat them if you need, you know, if you need them to beat someone. And then maybe they're fighting, maybe they're not cohesive yet. And then the following week they fight the Viking Raiders, get a little bit more cohesion and are able to beat them. It just kind of felt like, just like with some of these other storylines on Raw recently, they've jumped to step two and skipped step one.
1: I hated this so much. And I'm going to bring in what happened next. I'm sure we're going to talk about it later. But you can, yeah, we you, have you to move, talk about it now. It. Yeah, you move which into it. Which is the big show then beating Andrade and Garza in a exactly. one-on-two match. And this is what I've referenced earlier with Bruce Pritchard and something I didn't like is that when he was running SmackDown, the tag team division was terrible and you had singles matches for tag belts and, and tag matches for handicap matches for uh, tag belt, uh, single belts. It was nonsense. And so we just spent a month plus building up the Viking Raiders uh, a, a, as a unit. And then they lose last week to the Street profits. And then they lose this week to a team that doesn't even want to be a team. And then that team loses to a single person all in the same night. That's horrible. That makes everybody in the tag team division look like a complete joke. And I think I was I was furious over this booking. And, and it again, maybe concerned about any sort of future for the tag team division on Raw with with Pritchard
0: running it. Fuck it zero. No, you totally nailed it. Um, they turned around and had the presumptive number one contenders lose a handicap match. On the same show. Now, there was the built-in excuse that Garza left the ring and therefore Andrade was not only by himself, but distracted. And yes, he did lose to a legend. But I would have... Why did they have him beat him with a chokeslam? Why didn't he hit him with the knockout punch, which is believable that this guy gets knocked out? Oh, you know, blindsided. And then they had Big Show hit the the chokeslam and then the knockout punch anyway. So they should have just reversed those. That's bad booking. Look, granted... Big Show needed a win because they need to build up his legend status now that he's back on TV and clearly going to have a match with Randy Orton. It just didn't feel like they needed to do it at Andrade's expense. They could have maybe had him beat an MVP or if again, I I, I hate another tag team.
1: Why does it have to be the ones who just want? Yeah, it could have been Thorne.
0: They could have brought Thorne and Vicken for him. Yeah. they could have, again, I hate just throwing them out there, but clearly they're not in the plans right now. Ricochet and Cedric, if but their faces, so that doesn't make sense. But they could have found another tag team or another big person for him to beat rather than just use Andrade. After all this time you spent building up Andrade and Angel Garza and the Viking Raiders, you're right. It was a total waste of a couple segments. Now, the presumptive number one contenders look weak. The Viking Raiders look weak. And yeah, The Big Show does look strong, but he's only looking strong to lose in a couple of weeks anyway. So I did like The Big Show's Zelina Vega interaction. That was kind of fun. And like I said, Ric Flair kind of getting in there, talking to Vega, talking to Andrade, you know, his future probably son-in-law. All that really worked for me. But everything else, everything that happened in the ring was a disaster. Uh, moving over to SmackDown, you had Nikki Cross defeat Lacey Evans, Dana Brooke, and Alexa Bliss to become the number one contender for the SmackDown Women's title. I thought it was a decent enough match. And it is nice to see Nikki Cross get another chance at the title. But it was Corey Graves who really stood out. He popped me in this match. When Bailey came over to do commentary, he said, Let me guess. You want to speak to the manager. (laughs) Huge pop. Loved it. Other than that, I don't really have much of an opinion. I, I just have to imagine Bailey beats Nikki again. They rather than give Dana the opportunity or Naomi, Naomi wasn't even in the freaking match, neither was Carmella they're just kind of throwing Nikki to the wolves here and, and going to have Bailey beater. I assume.
1: Yeah. And I, I thought it played out well. I liked how you had Alyssa, uh, I'm sorry, Alexa and Nikki, um, going at it together. And we haven't really seen Bailey versus Nikki. So I, I think it was a, it accomplished what it needed to do. It gave us somebody different. It it, it was more than serviceable and just, just pretty good all around. And I, I think it was, uh, we needed something for Bailey makes sense. And uh, yeah, just well
0: done. Over back on Raw, you had Peyton Royce beat Ruby Riot with that corkscrew brainbuster finisher. That was sick. And Royce winning was obviously a good idea. Probably setting up an Iconics versus Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot match next week. Possibly Billy Kay going ahead and fighting Ruby Riot. Maybe them attacking her after the match. Liv Morgan coming out and saving them. I just think it all makes sense together. What they're doing, they're getting. Ruby on TV theoretically they're going to get Liv Morgan on TV they have the iconics still there despite losing basically two tag team title opportunities. I thought it was a really smart way to get all the women an opportunity in a storyline uh they're also weaving in Lana and you know presumably Natalia being natal uh, Lana almost seeming brainwashed by Natalia believing in her greatness more a little bit more interesting than I thought it would be and of course we had the backstage segment in hour one just. The iconics being their hysterical selves, Ruby Riot cutting a pretty solid promo. Top to bottom, I just enjoyed the usage. Natalia wasn't on the show, but of these other five women ensuring that they had an opportunity to be there and to get some points across and get some storylines developing. And of course, Ruby Riot uh not Ruby Riot, sorry, Peyton Royce and Billy Kay, they absolutely popped me with this.
1: Oh, what a little freak. What a weedo.
0: I mean, that's, again, another all-time drop on getting over. You will hear that for the remainder of this show's history. Uh, So I I was very positive coming out of all of this.
1: So it it looks like we've talked about for a number of weeks, they need to build a real women's tag division because we were only getting the same two or three teams every time. And you get the sense that's what they're doing here. Um, A little unfortunate, Ruby comes back and, you know, it loses. But at the same time, the Iconics had been losing a bunch as well. So they needed something. So I, I, I think you can get through it. It could work with it could bring Liv and, and Ruby back together if that's where they're going. Um So, yeah, I, I think it's the start of something. You know, I, I just, you know, bashed Pritchard for the for the tag team problems he's had for a while now. But if this is the start of something for the women's tag, it's it's been
0: much needed. Ruby Riot is 0 and 11 on television since returning from injury. Just FYI out there. Uh, by the way, where the hell are Bianca Belair and Shayna Baszler?
1: Yes, I, I I don't know. We had the Street Profits last week. We've had the Street Profits during all these things. I don't know. I, I do not know. Bianca Belair is a star. Maybe there's something we don't know. I don't know. But she's a star. getter on TV. I
0: mean, Baszler, I can understand she was booked so dominant that having her be in in-between storylines just... Doesn't make a lot of sense. They got to figure out what to do with her. And maybe she is someone who should move over to SmackDown and actually maybe take the title off Bailey. if it's not Sasha. I just don't know what the hell they're going to do. Maybe they're going to save Baszler to be the one to take the title off Asuka. I don't know. But they got to do something with Baszler and Bianca Belair. There is no excuse that she is not on Raw every week in singles matches. She can beat jobbers. She can beat Mm -hmm. individuals. Peyton Royce. Or Billy, or or Lana, or Natalia, anyone. Bianca needs to be on TV getting wins. There was a long time she was on NXT, just in these random singles matches to showcase her strength and just get her on TV in between feuds. And they need to start doing that again. It is a complete joke. Uh, MVP defeats U.S. Champion Apollo Cruz in a non-title match. And I gotta say, you and I, you more than me, but both of us love MVP, and we love what he's doing with Bobby Lashley. And I think we also love the interactions with Apollo Crews. But this booking to me was totally confusing because one would think they're headed to a US title match with Lashley at Extreme Rules. And I know he interfered a little bit, but now you have MVP who has a win over the US champion and is owed the United States Championship opportunity. This felt completely unnecessary. It felt like unnecessary damage to the champion where he didn't need to take a loss, where he still needs to be strong, You could have done something very similar where Lashley interfered, but it ends up costing MVP. Cruz gets the win and they both attack Apollo Cruz at the end of the match. So I don't get that. Then immediately coming off that, you have Bobby Lashley defeating Ricochet. So yes, we did get Ricochet and Cedric Alexander back on television again. Two thumbs up, okay? I was also worried that this match would be a complete destruction, but instead Rick kind of got some offense in and it was kind of... This match is what the Brock Lesnar title match should have been, where Ricochet got dominated the entire time, but then had a flurry of offense where you're thinking, wow, he might actually pull this off. And then ultimately, the size and strength of Lesnar in that case, Lashley in this case, overwhelms. And then after he beats Ricochet, despite Ricochet looking semi-strong in this match, being able to ward off a full Nelson and then unfortunately got applied later you had Cedric Alexander run in to kind of stop him and just get swallowed whole by Bobby Lashley. So I just was kind of off put by the booking here. I understand what they were trying to do, but it felt sloppy to me.
1: The, the only good part of the MVP Apollo match was at least when MVP wins, we get to hear his theme again. Yeah, because that true. thing is a great theme. It's It's one of the best. But no. Yeah. Apollo just doesn't have a lot of wins since he got the belt he beat kevin owens and, and he beat i think Andrade maybe or somebody early on but since then it's pretty much been he's been getting put down he's been getting beaten up by mvp and lashley and it, I, I, he needs you know they've done he's gotten a lot better he's he's much more comfortable on the mic they're trying to build him up but the best way to build somebody up is with actual wins and i don't know why he couldn't just beat mvp there It doesn't really change anything else that they're doing um so that was surprising. Um I love the Lashley Ricochet match. Yeah, sure. it, it, Lashley against small dudes, Ricochet against big dudes. It just it just works. That that that, that spot off the post uh, outside the ring where, where he runs Ricochet into it, and he goes spinning off of it. Awesome spot. I love that they tried it again, and Ricochet was able to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it I didn't like the. It didn't need to do the Cedric Alexander stuff at the end again, but uh, I I love the match. I, I really like what Lashley's. Doing love with MVP is doing. I just think it just didn't need him to beat Apollo Cruz. And let's let's build Apollo Cruz up with let's show it. Let's not just say it. Everybody's saying Apollo is great, but we need to see some more wins. We need to see some wins against uh, notable people.
0: I know people love Ricochet. I am one of them. And you want him to win. You want him to have titles and be in major feuds. But he has not been on TV. They clearly don't know exactly what they're going to do with Cedric Alexander, I guess they've been wrestling on main event and apparently those matches have been great. I think there was an Austin Theory, Buddy Murphy, Ricochet Cedric Alexander match I heard that was on main event that was fantastic, right? So that's great that they're doing it. But if you're gonna have him on TV, put him in a great match and I don't care if he loses. Like you said, that was entertaining and I will take that versus him not being on my television. Lashley, by the way, looked like a monster in this entire segment. He had that blood kind of coming out. I'm not sure if he popped a cauliflower ear or if he got cut or something, but he looked great. He looked strong. And it was a rare situation when WWE has built someone like Lashley up to such a degree that I now fully see him as a main eventer. We, since he, he's come back you know, a couple of years ago, I think it was 2018, it, it just didn't work. They tried a million things. It wasn't working. This with MVP is working. He is a main eventer now. He feels bigger than the United States Championship, and he feels bigger than a U.S. title feud. So I don't know what they can do to make this work. I did, we did think that he was going to get another chance with Drew. Maybe they're not going to go with Orton that quickly, and maybe we're going to get Lashley and Drew at SummerSlam. That's possible. But if they put him in the U.S. title picture and they give him that championship, then he needs to have a very long run as U.S. champion only taken down eventually maybe it's survivor series or a little bit after that by maybe someone like Alistair black, but Lashley, they need to pull the trigger with something with him right now, because this is the best he has been since he returned to WWE.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I've i loved him that, that drew McIntyre match uh, a couple of weeks ago was great. We all wanted to see it again. He's been killing it. MVP has been killing it with him. It, it, it since it, 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 since it doesn't appear that they're getting back, it feels like Lashley does need a long-term feud here. It could raise the profile of the U.S. belt. Uh, I, I can't, if Apollo Crews wins, it's going to be like, oh, Apollo got the big win that we wanted him to have. But <laughs> but it's at the expense of someone who we think has been doing an even better job. And, and um, I, I don't, it's hard to see Lashley losing a U.S. title feud and then being able to get back into the WWE title feud. But, uh, I, I don't know. There, there, there's, they've done such a great job with, with Lashley here that now you feel like
0: that he, he should win it. Look, there are some people who need to have long title runs and there's others who don't. And I, Apollo Crews, I think we're all happy that he got elevated to this level. He's believable as a mid-carder now. They're factoring him back in. He's e- entertaining and extremely good in the ring and his mic game is getting stronger. But he's not Bobby Lashley. And if you want Apollo Crews to only have a two-month reign and have Lashley take the title, I am completely fine with that.
1: I I, I I get it at this point. I just wish the past two months had been uh, better. Stronger. For yeah, just yeah. just Apollo had looked stronger. I mean, look, he, he, let's be honest,
0: time. though. He did beat, like you said, he beat Kevin Owens. He beat Angel Garza. He's beaten Andrade a few times. That's not nothing. They no, but have, it's more than the past wrestlers. You know? Yeah, it, it, he he got the wins after he got the title kind of right away there. But then the past number of weeks, he's just been just just not doing much. That's True, but don't forget he also going into the money in the bank was looking strong and he he almost won the title off on Andrade before that. Or, or, wait, what did he? He had a spot in Money in the Bank. Sorry, he he beat someone, he lost maybe it. it was Andrade. For that's right, sorry, he won a spot in the Money in the Bank match, then had a U.S. Championship match against Andrade, got hurt in that match, I think, and then had to pull out of Money in the Bank. So, yeah. my point is, is that. He it's been a few months before he even won the title. that They had been building him up. So, I'm, no, I'm, yeah, they, they built him up well to get to yeah. the title. And we were happy for him there. It's just after one or two
1: weeks of having the belt, I, we thought we were going to we thought he was going to do the open challenge. And that didn't seem to kind of happen. Right. And it's just kind of been it seems like they may have kind of lost what their plans were.
0: Yeah, that is possible. And with the change to Pritchard, that's not surprising. Uh, two more things before we get out of here. The 24-7 championship thing. our truth Akira Tozawa. I'm done with the Ninjas. They just have no idea how to properly handle the 24/7 title. Long-term listeners of mine know I actually came up with the concept of the 24/7 title like a year before it was even on television. So I was really happy when they debuted it. I gave it a lot of slack. There were occasions where I thought it was working. Most of the time, I didn't. I believe this is a gimmick that can 100% work, especially in this empty arena era. You can make it work in the performance center, in and around, in and around Orlando. But they are so, so lazy with booking the 24-7 championship. The matches that they schedule are stupid, and they only last two minutes. Then they have people try to roll them up immediately after, and the only time that the title is ever contested is when someone shows up with a referee in a surprise and tries to roll up the person. There's never a fight, a beatdown. They just don't know how to handle this damn thing. I am now officially sick of it. I don't want it on television. The only good thing from this entire 24-7 title that we got on Monday night, the interaction with Ricochet, Cedric Alexander, Apollo Crews, and R-Truth backstage, I loved every second of that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm also done with the Ninjas. I was fine with the Ninjas as a one-off uh, at, at the last pay-per-view for the Viking Raiders Street Profits It was weird. I was fine with it for a one-off. Didn't really like it. The tag match the next day, okay, but like, I, I'm done with it now. They've just they've never really our, our truth has been great. The Drake Maverick stuff was good. But other than that, they just haven't really had a any sort of plan for what they want to do with this thing. Yeah. Pretty uh, outside of a couple of bits.
0: It's really the R-Truth title more than the 24-7 title. So whatever. Uh, on SmackDown, we had Lucha House Party and New Day and an eight man against uh, Miz and Morrison and Shinsuke and Cesaro. I just kind of want to give a shout out to Lucha House Party. They have been on absolute fire the last month or so. They work very well, both against and with New Day. Uh, Lucha House Party getting the clean win instead of New Day. It was key after their awesome match last week. They're good. They're they're a deserving tag team. I want them to get more opportunities, and I would love it if they eventually, at some point, someday, won the tag team championships.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear they're trying to to build them up to be a good contender here. They've they've done they've done good work, and as long as they're not under the unfair Lucha House Party rules, uh, it, it's it's worked. It's fine. It felt like another. Another situation where they're trying to build up more of a tag team division because the past several months, there's just been nothing there.
0: Now, let's talk about, Chris, what's up next in the world of professional wrestling, no more WWE. Let's talk first about AEW Fighter Fest, the first night of a two-week former kind of pay-per-view or something that we thought would be a pay-per-view, but is now a show on Dynamite, given all the circumstances that are going on in the world. I'm going to read this card. You tell me what stands out. You tell me why you're excited or not excited for the show. Private Party against Santana and Ortiz, MJF and Wardlow against Jurassic Express. That's the undercard. Then you have the Women's Championship, Hikaru Shida against Penelope Ford, Cody defending the TNT title against Jake Hager and the Tag Team Championship, Kenny Omega and Hangman Page defending against Best Friends. You're also going to have Chris Jericho on commentary. So what stands out for you? or what maybe disappoints you about Firefest Fest night one. What stands out to me is that's a lot of tag
1: team matches. That's three <laughs> out of five as yeah. tag team matches and AEW AEW really leans into those, but I think they, they just, they make it work better than yeah. WWE typically does when it comes to throwing together tag team matches for whatever reason. But I'm most excited for Omega and page against the best friends. You talked about it on your show last week. I love that, that video package about the best friends and the teams and, why they're 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 at this point um really i really like chuck taylor and trent as as a team i think the, they they fought they're finally getting some 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 of their due largely because they've been thrust into a bigger spot with everything going on so i i don't expect a title change here but i i'm expecting i think a pretty good match and i think that's probably what i'm uh, most looking forward to
0: yeah i think that has to absolutely main event there is There's no other match on that show that should main event other than the tag team title match. And if I'm AEW, I probably open the show with Cody Jake Hager just because I want a title match. NXT is going to start strong. We'll talk about them in a second. Um, And I think they need to kind of start really hot. Last week, you know, I always tape the, the Thursday show before the ratings come out. We're going to talk about those ratings on this upcoming Thursday show, where we will break down everything that happens in AEW and NXT. Now, NXT, they have gone. Yes, they've counter-programmed straight up with the Great American Bash. They're doing it two nights to go head-to-head with Fighter Fest. And look, no homerism here or favoritism here. NXT, in about three days, built a card for night one of Great American Bash that, to me, easily... Exceeds what AEW Fighter Fest is giving us now. Night two, I have no idea what they're going to give us. The main event technically may be stronger, but I think Fighter Fest night two next week is going to be better than uh, NXT Great American Bash. But for this week, holy crap! You have Timothy Thatcher against Oni Lorkin in what is just going to be an absolute brawl. Rhea Ripley against Aaliyah and Robert Stone in a handicap match where if Rhea Ripley loses, she will join the Robert Stone brand. I talked about that on Thursday show. Why that could be interesting. Just newly announced Dexter Loomis versus Roderick Strong in a strap match so that Strong can't leave. Pretty smart booking. Number one contendership, Dakota Kai against Tegan Nox, Candice LeRae, and Mia Yim for the women's number one contendership. That is what I think should open the show on the other side of the TNT title match, Cody versus Jake Hager for AEW, and a non-title match, Sasha Banks versus Io Shirai, which better main event and is an absolutely incredible match. To headline the Great American Bash, the business picked up real quick with this. The graphics promoting it are awesome, as are the Fire Fest graphics. Wednesday night, over the next two weeks, Chris, we are going to get crazy wrestling on television.
1: Yeah, I, I, I sometimes I get uh, you kind of roll your eyes a bit when it's so obvious that WWE is just counter programming against AEW, and sometimes you get the sense that the whole point of it, the whole point of what they're doing with NXT is just to take away from AEW. But mm-hmm. there are plenty of weeks and especially recently the past number of weeks where NXT has just been better and it, it's been really good, uh, you, great American bash makes sense. I, I think if you had, if they had announced several weeks prior, it wouldn't have seemed so obvious, but, right. uh, there are two good cards in, in two nights, two weeks for each one. I, I
0: think it's just good all around and I'll have to, Tape one, watch one live, and go back and watch the other. We can talk another time about the existence of NXT head-to-head with AEW, but the long and short of it is I think it's probably like 50-50, 50% 50 to counter AEW, 50% because NXT is legitimately a product that belonged on television. That's how good it is. So we can get into that another time, and we will break down everything that goes down on AEW Fighter Fest and NXT Great American Bash Thursday on this podcast. So be sure to tune in. While I break everything down, subscribe if you don't already, if you're a first-time listener, I greatly appreciate it. You can follow the show on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can follow me at Silverstein Adam. You can follow Chris at Chris Venini. And as I said in the open of the show, if you would like to donate, help us, you know, get some more production equipment and really improve the audio quality of this show, you can do so on Venmo at Adam Silverstein. That's it. Goal is 150 bucks. As soon as we reach it, I will stop requesting. Uh, so that's it, folks. Chris already said goodbye. Actually, he didn't, but I'm gonna do it for him. Silver King right now is saying goodbye, and you know there's only one other person that we need to hear from. Elizabeth, come on, there, oh, I mean, We got something going that's oh, really big. Don't we? Yeah, look into the video school right now and tell him about my Joe madness. Tell him how strong it is and tell him where we're going. Yeah,
1: we the Twilight Zone. Yeah, and how kogan has got those no gems.
0: You know, does anybody in the And the greatest past, future in the sport. I am the one in the world today. In I you Thank you, Randy Savvy. Thank you all for listening. I will see you Thursday. Bye for now.